me to 1 John chapter 2. We are going to continue in, in 1 John. I thought about changing today and doing something else. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today. Um, but, you know, praying about it and just kind of seeking, seeing what uh, we're going to do today. Uh, looking at the text today, we, we kind of looked at it last week. We talked about part of it in chapter 2. Um, but I, I kind of came to the conclusion, something I already knew, something you already know as well, is that the gospel really is the only answer. The gospel is the only answer for all the issues, all the problems, all the things. So uh, it, it's going to do me good. It'll do you good for us to just continue on through First John as we're walking through the text. Going to be in chapter 2. We're going to start in the same place we did last week in chapter, in verse 18. Let me pray before we, uh, before we read the text this morning. Father, we love you, God. We come before you today thanking you for your grace, thanking you for your mercy, Lord. We ask that you would be with us. Help us just to, um, to, to rightly divide your word, to uh, uh, have you come and speak to us, God, not just to import our own things into what the text says, Lord, but just to have you speak to us, God. We ask that you would, uh, God, that you would just uh, move amongst us today and that this word would just jump off the page and it would uh, go into our hearts and it would change us. That's why we're here, Lord, is to be changed and we're here to, uh, to uh, be more conformed to your will, to your ways, to the image of your son when we walk out of here than uh, when we came in. Lord, we uh, ask that you would be with us today, throughout the day, even in the second service. As Brother Eddie comes, we ask that you would be with him as he's going to preach the word to us, God. And that you would give us hearts ready to receive it. And we thank you for that. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So remember the context of what we're gonna, what we're in. First John is a letter. Uh, I probably start this way at least thirty seconds worth every time, and it's probably something we need to do every time. First John is a letter to give you assurance. If you are a believer, it, it's to let you know that you have eternal life. Remember, there were some uh, there were some uh, false teachers, some people. John called them antichrists. Last time we were here, we, we looked at that. Uh, they had come into the church and they were teaching things that were um, that were not exactly what the apostles had taught, what Christ had taught. What they were doing was saying, we have the higher spirituality. We have more knowledge. We have the, the deeper teaching. You guys are, it's real cute that y'all started out with the gospel and you've got Christ and, and you believe in him and you believe in his death and his resurrection. And that's nice. But if you want to have the, get to the next level, if you want to come and have a relationship with God, you need to follow. Us, you need to come and get what we're teaching. And John is writing this letter specifically to tell tell them no, that is not the case. He's writing specifically to tell them that you are to hold fast to the gospel, that you have everything in Christ and everything that uh, God, uh, everything that you need to stand before God in right relationship with Him in this life and in the next. You have in Christ at the cross, death and resurrection has paid for it all, and there's nothing higher to seek. There's no greater level than perfection. And John is writing these things to give you, to give the believer, the tests of assurance that you have. He gives three tests that we've seen over and over again. We're going to see them again as we continue walking through the book. Uh, but the tests are the tests of doctrine. Do you believe the truth about what Christ says about himself? What God says about himself? Do you uh, obey the commands of Christ? He says, if anyone who doesn't live after Christ, he doesn't know Christ. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a direction of life. And the third thing was, do you love the brethren? Do you love the, the, the bride of Christ? And those are the three things that we're going to see coming back over and over again through first John. So that's kind of just to catch you up to where we're at last week. 
We read verses 18 through 29, and I'm going to read those same verses again this week. Uh, It says, little children, it is the last time. And you've heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it's the last time. They went out from, from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and, there, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist that denieth the Father and Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. And then 24 says, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he's promised us even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. That's what they were doing. Verse 27, but the anointing which you've received of him abideth in you and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him and his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. That's a whole lot. That's a big mouthful all at one time. So last week we took apart the idea of the antichrists, uh, the, those that are antichrists. We, we gave three things. If you weren't here last week that John has showed us, he showed us number one, how to identify him. He showed us that they are the ones who have left the fellowship. He says they went out from among us because they really weren't of us. So they're going out proved. It made manifest that they were not of us. The second thing that we saw is they deny that Jesus is the Christ. They had their own little spiritual thing going on. They denied that Jesus was truly man, truly God, all in one. And the third thing that we saw was that they denied the doctrine of the Trinity. They denied the Father and the Son. You can't have the Father if you don't believe in the Son. So a lot of things going on. We, we talked in depth about that last week. So this week, what I want to show you is really the actual point that John is making by bringing all this together. And the point is simply this, that today what we need to understand is that you have everything that you need in the gospel. I made mention of that last week and we talked about that a little this week. This week I want to show you just in depth what he means and I'm going to go through these verses again uh, slowly and I'm going to show you exactly why he's saying the things that he's saying. These folks had come in and they were saying, you know what, we've got the higher thing. They were called Gnostics. They were called docetists. I can talk to you about that afterward. But what they basically were saying was, we've got the big deal. You guys are still in the baby stage. That's what they were saying. You, it's good that you got the gospel. You're coming along just fine. What you need to do, you need to follow us because we have the higher level. We have the bigger spirituality. We have the deeper knowledge of God. And you need to come follow us to actually be truly Christian. And John is writing to say, no, that's not true. These folks that are saying that are anti 
Christ. They're against Christ. And you still see it today. You'll see people that say, you know what? Uh, We've got the higher thing. We've got the better thing. We've got the new teaching. We've got the new principle that's going to make your life come together. We've got the thing that's going to uh, uh, finally spark that that thing, that boredom that you have, that that, uh, mundane life that you live. We've got the new teaching, the new principle, the new whatever, the new Christian book, the new whatever, doctrinal series, the new whatever it is, we've got it and we can share it with you and you'll finally have joy. You'll finally have victory. You'll finally have peace. And that's pretty, um, uh, that's pretty marketable today, isn't it? Because really in life, I mean, if you're honest with your heart and I know I'm honest with mine, we kind of get bored real easy about stuff, especially stuff that's common. Stuff that we, we, we're used to, we kind of take it for granted, don't we? The people that you love the most are the ones you take for granted the most. The things that you're just used to, you take for granted. I mean, you could go as something simple as a, a, a new vehicle or a new house or a new whatever. You get it and all of a sudden it's exciting and everything's new and it's like, wow, this is great. And then after a while it gets old and it's like, well, now I need something else. Now I need something else new. Well, that's a sinful part of our hearts. That's what, that's what, um, that's what John calls uh, the, the, well, Paul calls the flesh warring against the spirit. And so w- what's going on here is the people were coming into this church, these false teachers, and they were, they were kind of preying on that, that, that predilection in us. And they were saying, well, you know, uh, life is still going on. These believers were no doubt facing hardship. First century believers had all kinds of things going on. We can talk about that as well. And these teachers were coming in saying, you know what? You guys are struggling in some areas. You're having some hardships. And you know as well as I do that as believers, you're going to be fighting against sin. You're going to be fighting against the world, fighting against the flesh, fighting against Satan. You're going to have all these struggles that are going on in your life fighting against all those things. And after a while, it gets a little tiring. It gets exhausting. It gets, uh, it, it gets hard for you to continue. And these guys were coming along and saying, you know what? We've got the real deal. Amen. The problem is not that you just need to fight for the gospel. The problem is you're missing something and we have the truth. And so they were coming and you can imagine these Christians were, they were like, well, well, who do we follow? Who do we believe? I mean, what do we do? The apostles came and they gave us the doctrine of Christ. They gave us the teaching that uh, that saved us and brought us into this church. But now all these other folks are coming in and they're telling us something different and they've left and they're basically going their own way and they're calling us to follow them and to do their thing. What, What do we do? John is writing to say these folks here that telling you this, they're anti Christ. And he's saying You have everything that you need in the gospel. Look what he says in, uh, let's just take it uh, one step at a time. In verse 20, he says he he went through all the antichrist stuff. You know, they went out from among us because they were of us. We talked about that last week. He says, but you, he makes a distinction between them and you. He says, but you have an unction from the Holy one and you know all things in verse 20, that word unction in verse 27, but the anointing, which you have received in him, that's the same word unction and anointing in, in Greek is the same word. So what he's talking about there, we could go into depth about what it means to have an unction. You know what an unction is. So, you know, you get an unction to do something. You have a pull, a drive, you know what that is. And the anointing, we can talk about that. You're sealed, anointed, but both things are basically talking about the spirit of God that lives inside of you. You have the spirit you have. You have been given the spirit of God himself. Now imagine what John is saying. Look at what he's saying here to these folks. He's saying these 
these guys are telling you now it's, it's kind of cute that you're still following the gospel and that's where you're putting all your hope and all that. But really, if you want a deeper thing, if you want a deeper level, if you want a higher experience, you got to follow us. John is saying, no, no, no. You have the unction from the Holy One. You have the anointing by the Spirit. You have God himself living inside of you. Do you hear how foolish it sounds? To say, well, you just got the baby steps when it's God himself that's living inside of you. I mean, it kind of sounds dumb for somebody to walk in the back door and say, you know what? We've got the higher teaching when through the gospel you have God himself dwelling inside of you. It kind of makes it really sound dumb. He says, but you, he says, you have an unction from the Holy One. And he says, look what this unction does. It says, and you know all things. Now, that doesn't mean that you're no calculus and that the spirit has told you, you know, all things about world history and doesn't mean, you know, all things about auto mechanics. I can I can witness to you from experience that the Holy Spirit does not specifically tell you exactly where each fuse goes in a church bus. I can tell you that from experience. So it doesn't mean, you know, all things about all things about everything. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the truth of God. He's talking about your relationship with God. He's saying, you don't need these guys that are coming in here saying, we've got the new thing. We've got the full thing. We've got the thing you've been missing. No believer, you aren't missing anything. He says, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know everything there is to know about relationship with God. Are you going to grow in that? Absolutely. Are you going to, are you going to grow in, in your knowledge of Him, in your faith in Him, in your repentance? in your walk with him. Absolutely. But you don't need a new thing. You don't need something that you don't have already. You need to grow in what you have. That's what John is telling his readership. He's saying, look, you don't need these guys that are coming in saying we got the big deal. Uh, In verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things uh, uh, because those are seducing you. They're trying to lead you away. He said, you don't need that newness. You don't need something God has forgotten to reveal to you. You don't need something that God is hiding from you and you got to jump through the right hoops in order to release this whatever into your life. You have everything that you need in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You know all things. God has given you everything that he has to offer in Christ. Now you will grow in it. I'm not saying that there's no growth. I'm not saying that you don't grow in Christ or that you don't grow in your relationship with God or that you grow in your understanding. Not saying that at all. But I'm saying there's nothing new that you need that you're missing. All you have to do, he's going to give us a command at the end of the section that says abide. That's all he says. Abide in what you have from the beginning. Abide in Christ. He says you don't need to chase after what everybody else is peddling to give you this fulfillment in life, to give you this higher understanding, to give you whatever. He said, you know all things. If Go down to verse 27 and let's look at this anointing. It says, but 27, but the anointing which you have received, he says, of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and his truth and is no lie. And even as it is taught you, you shall abide in him. Notice first thing is that this is not some special group of Christians. 
This is not some super Christians. John wrote this letter and he didn't really know personally every believer that would read this letter. He sent it to certain churches, sent it to certain areas. It's been given for the church for all time. So we can take it for a fact that John didn't specifically know the name, occupation, background, and history of every person that would read this letter. But he could say assuredly without any kind of qualification, without any kind of, well, if you, without any of that, he could say you have an anointing which you've received. If you are in Christ, if you have come to trust the gospel, he says the anointing which you have received And of him, it abides in you. You've received, he's talking about the anointing of the spirit. He's talking about God who dwells in you. And he says, you don't need any man to teach you. Now that doesn't mean that the church doesn't have teachers. I mean, you read through the gospels and there's teachers. If you look in Ephesians, Paul said that God gave pastors and teachers to the churches as gifts. In fact, John right here in writing this letter is teaching them. He's teaching them something. So what does it mean when he says you don't need any man to teach you? He's saying basically what I've already said, and I'm going to continue to repeat throughout this service. You're probably going to get tired of it, is that you don't need some secret from God that some man is going to come and bring to you. He says you have received everything that God has to say in the gospel of Christ, everything that you need for fulfillment, everything that you need to have victory in this life and eternal life in the next, everything that you need to have relationship with God. You don't need some man to come and bring you a secret that God has not revealed to his church so that you can finally find this quote unquote Whatever it is, peace, joy, happiness, greater life, higher spirituality. He's saying, look, it abides in you. Do you not understand the anointing which you've received of him? It abides in you. Therefore, you don't need any man to come and give you something that you don't already have. You don't need any man to come and reveal something that has not been revealed in the word that has not been revealed by the gospel that has not been revealed in Christ. You don't need a higher anything. There's nothing higher than the gospel. There's nothing higher than Christ that you can chase after. He says, you don't need any man to teach you. You have everything, everything that you need. And so you already know the truth verse. I'm kind of skipping around what did this last week, but. It kind of sounds hypocritical, doesn't it? John says, look, you already know everything. You don't need any teachers, but I'm John and I'm writing. So I'm going to teach you. (laughs) It kind of sounds like he's kind of, he's kind of maybe contradicting himself. But uh, if you read, we just read verse 20, where it says you have an unction from the Holy one. You know, all things verse 21, he clarifies himself. He's saying, look, I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. I'm not writing to you to teach you something you don't know. I'm not writing you to let you in on a secret that you don't have. He says, I'm writing because you know the truth. I'm writing because you know it. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and no lies of the truth. He's saying, look, I'm not writing to you, giving you new information. I'm not writing to you, letting you know some secret that God passed on to me that he withheld from his church or that he withheld from his apostles or that he withheld from his people. I'm not writing, giving you something that you don't know. 
I'm writing to you telling you something that you do know already. I'm writing to you to encourage you, to make you understand that you have everything you need. I'm writing to you to uh, stir up the fact that the, the spirit of God lives in you. I'm writing you to encourage you in the gospel. He's saying, I'm not writing to you because you don't know something and I need to teach you. He says, I'm writing to you because you know the truth. And these guys that are coming into the church saying, well, we've got the higher thing, the better thing, whatever it is that are trying to seduce you. He says, no lie is of the truth. He says, you already have the truth within you. You have an unction from the Holy One. You have an anointing that abides in you is what he says. And you don't need someone to give you something that you're lacking. In Jesus Christ, you're not lacking anything. Now, so what he's going to say, the whole point he's going to wind up at the end of this is you don't need to come and learn new things. I mean, that's probably not the best way to put it. But what I mean by that is you don't need to come and learn new revelation that's been kept secret from the church for all these years or that's somehow been hidden from you. You need to abide in Christ. You need to learn of him. You need to go and seek your relationship with him in the gospel. That's where peace is found. That's where eternal life is found. That's where victory in life is found. And so today you can walk into a Christian bookstore. I know from experience, well, I don't know from experience throwing a rock in a Christian bookstore, but I was going to say you can throw a rock in a Christian bookstore and you will hit a book that says we've got the secret. We've got the secret thing that everybody else is missing. We've got the thing that's going to finally release whatever it is in your life. You throw a rock in a bookstore, you're going to hit a book that says something like that. You flip around on your radio station, on Christian radio station, you're going to find a teacher that'll say something like that. We've got the thing. We've got the secret that you've been needing all this time. And if you would just learn these principles, if you would just learn this teaching, you will finally have what it is that you're looking for. When the reality is John is saying, no, you have all things, you know, all things, everything that God has given Jesus Christ in him. All the promises of God are what they're yay and amen. There are no promises of God that are withheld. There are no promises of God that are still lacking if you have Christ. All the promises of God are yea and amen. In Ephesians chapter uh, 1 verse 3, it said, it says that uh, you have all spiritual blessings in, in what? In Christ. You have all spiritual blessings in Christ. It says you have been seated in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Over and over again, the New Testament in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have all things. Then that's the point that John is making here. The question that we need to make sure we understand is not, am I missing something new that's out there? Some new teaching, some deeper level, some new thing that I've kind of missed out on. I know I got Jesus, but maybe there's something a little better that's out there that that's going to release this whatever into my life. Maybe there's something that I'm missing. He said, if you have Christ, you have the fullness of God. You have God. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You have everything that you need for relationship with God, for peace in this life, for eternal life in the, in the next life. You have everything that you need. God, the father looks down at you and he sees what? Perfection, perfection in his son. I don't know about you, but there's no higher level than perfection. There's nothing to reach for. 
And so you and I can rest in Christ. We can rest in what he did. We can rest in, in who he is. Now, he told us, uh, he told us about this truth abiding in us. We don't need the spirit teaches us that we don't need the, uh, a man to come and bring us new things that we've missed out on. It kind of reminded me of uh, in camp, maybe just a few weeks ago, where, whenever it was. Uh, the, the preaching at this camp that I, we took the youth to was probably some of the best that we've ever been to. So it was very, very good. It was a great preacher, great uh, subject. It was focused on being unashamed of the gospel. So it was all about the gospel and it wasn't about principles and moralistic teachings and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it was all about the gospel. And so the, the, the preacher was really good. I didn't have, I didn't have no trouble problems with him at all. But the first night we were there, uh, he's kind of introducing himself, getting the kids ready for what's going to come the week and all that kind of stuff. And he said something as he was talking. He was just talking off the cuff. Man, if you made a list of all the dumb things I done said off the cuff, it, it would stretch across the sanctuary. But he said something that could be taken a little, uh, I don't know if that's right. And so I kind of, I kind of just figured, you know, he, he just misspoke. He just must have misspoke and, and I let it go. But there were a couple of the youth that came to me afterwards and said, Hey, I don't know about that. What is that? What is that? Did, did that strike you weird? Did, and they, they want to talk about it. And I was, I was pretty, these were like junior high too. These were not like seniors. They were, they were younger. And, and, and I thought that's, that's a good thing that there's something inside of them that, that, you know, we talked about it and questioned it. If it means this, then we know that's not right. If it means, you know, we talked about what he could have meant or whatever. And it was all good. Uh, but it, it struck me that there was something inside of them say, whoa, I don't know if that's right or not. I need, I need to investigate that a little bit. There was something inside of them. They didn't just suck it up like water when he was telling them this and that. There was something inside of them that said that raised up and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If that's true, then that means X, Y, and Z. And we kind of went through it and it was all good, but it, it did my heart good to know because when I take the, when I take Y'all's kids really to, to camp or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I don't let them go when the, when the preacher calls everybody, you know, 400 kids down front. I don't let them go. You know, if they, they, I'm going to talk to them because that's what they pay me to do. I don't pay some dude y'all ain't never met to come and minister to your kids. So anyway, I, I thought it was good. That's just a sad thing. Y'all can take that or leave it. Uh, I thought it was good. There was something in them. There was something inside of them. There was an unction. It was the spirit of God moving inside of them with the gospel. And he was saying, I'm not sure if that's so. I'm not sure if that's so. And so what John's telling us here, what he's doing is he's encouraging. He says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And what he's doing is saying, look, if you have the gospel, if you are in Christ, if you will break it down and say, if you're saved, if you have the spirit of God in you, born again by the spirit of God, you're going to grow in that. You're going to grow in Christ. You're going to grow in your understanding. You're going to grow in your sanctification as you walk that out. And as you live, you're going to be convicted of your sin. You're going to grow in your repentance. You're going to grow in your faith. You're going to grow in all those things. But you have everything that you will ever have. You understand what I say when I mean it, when I what I mean when I say that. There's never going to be a time. Everything. Listen to me. Listen to me close today. If you are a believer, I'm not. If you if you hadn't been born again, this is not for you. I'm sorry. Don't open nobody else's mail. If you are a believer, if you have been born again by the spirit of Christ, you will never be anything more in God's eyes than you are right now. 
Do you understand what I mean when I say that? It, it kind of sounds derogatory, doesn't it? Like you're never going to be nothing, you know, like, but that's not what it means. It says, what I'm saying is right now, if you are in Christ, you're perfect before God, before the father. You live for 20 more years, 50 more years. When you stand before God at the time when your appointment comes to be judged, you're going to be the exact same thing then that you are today. You're going to be perfect before God. If you're in Christ, you're going to be absolutely perfect. If you, if you build from, from today, you live 30 years from now and you build the biggest ministry for Christ that the world has ever seen. And you lead 4 billion people to Jesus and there is worldwide TV, you know, you just whatever. You will still be nothing more than a sinner saved by grace when you stand for God. If you have, that's, that's a fact. If you have the greatest, I don't know who the most godly person on the planet is, but that person. You have, you have a relationship with God that rivals Moses's who spoke to God face to face. When you stand before God, you will still be exactly what you are today. A sinner saved by God's perfect grace. And so what John is saying here is you don't need uh, this quote unquote man to come and teach you something that you're lacking. You don't need some guy to come and tell you the higher path, the higher level, the deeper thing that you need with God. What you need to do is you need to focus on Christ and him crucified because that's where your power is found. That's where your relationship with God is found. That's where your peace is found. That's where your victory is found. That's where everything that you have, everything that you need is found in Christ and him crucified. Look what he says, the command that he gives us. Verse 24 and 25, we read that, we're kind of working down. I'm skipping over all the Antichrist passages because we went over those last week. Verse 24, he says, this is what, this is the command now. If you're a believer, you're thinking, well, okay, John, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? I mean, what am I supposed to do now? He says, let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. He's saying, go back to the very beginning. Go back to what you heard the very first time. Go back to the very beginning. And that is what you let abide in you. That is what your focus is on. You go back to the beginning. You remember when you heard the gospel for the very first time and it freed you from your sin. It freed you from uh, your, your guilt. It freed you from your shame. It freed you from all those things. He says, you go back to the beginning and you let that abide in you. If he says, let that which you heard from the beginning, you don't need a new thing that nobody's ever heard of. You don't need a new thing that's been kept secret from the church all these years. You don't need a new thing that the apostles themselves kind of didn't really know about. If they knew about, they would have told you about it. They would have wrote it down in scripture. You don't need a new thing that nobody's heard of. He says, you let that therefore abide in you, which was from the beginning that you heard from the beginning. He says, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, if that lives in you, if that abides in you, he says, you also shall continue in the son and in the father. He's saying you don't need something uh, that you haven't heard in order to to continue to have fellowship with the father and son. You need to let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. You let that remain in you. 
He says, don't get, you know, that those guys, he says, they departed. They departed. They, they went out from, um, from among us because they were not of us. And he says, so what you need to do is you need to abide. You need to let that abide in you that you've heard from the beginning. I thought about what it means to abide, like to live, to remain, to, to stay there. We, we have, a lot of y'all know this, we, we, we have those uh, Sunday school parties at my house sometimes. We ain't had one in a long time because, you know, 50 people show up to the party and, and 20 show up Sunday school. So we, uh, that's another sermon. We have, uh, we have those deals and all these folks come over and it, we, it's really fun. You know, we eat, we talk, we laugh, we drink coffee. We, you know, just, just have a good time, play games. But there comes a time at my house where it's time for y'all go home. You know what I mean? I mean, after a while, it's like, okay, y'all need to go on. See y'all. Bye. I'll see y'all tomorrow. You don't abide at my house. You don't live there. So there comes a time when it's time for you to go. But see, my children, they don't leave when everybody else is leaving, when everybody else goes. When it's time for everybody else to go, it's time to shut everything down. It's time to get ready for bed. It's time to settle back and, and relax. All y'all got to go, but my children stay and they stay because they abide there. They live. There. That's where that's where they rest. That's where they lay their head. That's where you could say it this way, because I own the house. They own the house. It's theirs. It, it belongs to them. So they abide there. All the other folks, you know, I love them. They come over. We, we have fun. It's all great. But they don't abide with me. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It don't mean well, I'm not talking about brothers and sisters of Christ and all that. I'm talking about we don't all live in my house. He's saying what you need to do, believers, is you need to let what you heard from the beginning. You need to let that abide in you. You need to let that remain in you. You need to let that you need to you need to rest in that. You need to own it. You need to like, like a, my kid would own my house. You know, he doesn't really own my house. His name ain't on nothing. It's because I own the house, but he owns the house because daddy owns the house. So I own the gospel. I own eternal life. Not because my name's on eternal life. I, I guess you could say my name's in the book, but, but because Jesus purchased it for me because I am my father's son. I own He says, you let that abide in you. And then the other thing he says is what you need to do is you need to abide in Christ. You need to abide in Christ. In verse, uh, what, 28 says, now little children abide in him. And this is the reason when he, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. He says, look. You don't have to run off to the new deal. You don't have to run off to the guy that's pushing the higher level or the greater teaching or the whatever. He says, all you have to do is abide in Christ, abide in him. And he says, if you abide in him, when he appears and when he appears in judgment, you'll have confidence. You won't have to be ashamed. You won't have to be in fear. You won't have to be worried. You won't have to be, you know, it doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter how bad it gets or, or whatever. You don't have to be afraid because God is still in control. And when he shows up in judgment, when the sky bursts open and Christ returns, we're not going to have to be like those who are, are screaming in terror saying to the mountains fall down on us. 
We're going to come in confidence before him, knowing knowing that he has paid everything that we need to stand before the Father. Now, here's the thing you need, need to understand as we close out. It's easy to have confidence. It's easy to have confidence when you're not staring Christ in the face. I spoke to a person. This is a person that I know very well. And we were talking about, he was talking about, I told you all this before. He's talking about my, my new motivation for exercise and all that. And I told him it was because I get to see people die every day, you know, at the hospital. And this is what he said. This guy's young, you know, probably 30, 30 something. He said, I just know that when it's my time, it's just my time and I ain't gonna worry about it. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty easy to say sitting here at the kitchen table with turkey in front of you. That's pretty easy to say when you ain't the one getting the doctor's report. It's pretty easy to say when you ain't in the hospital room and all that stuff hooked up. It's pretty easy to say, I'm just not going to worry about it. I said, it's a whole different deal. It's a whole different deal when you the one laying in the bed and the doctor said, I'm sorry. Ain't nothing we can do. It's all over. Just get your stuff in order. It's a whole different deal. It's easy to have confidence when you ain't staring it in the face. He says, but, but little children, he says, you abide in Christ. And when you are staring it in the face, you'll have confidence. He says, when he shall appear, when he comes, he's not going to come as meek and mild, uh, carpenter Jesus, who's going to let people beat on him. He's going to come as king and conqueror and judge. And he says, when he, when he shall appear, all the world's going to be telling the rocks, fall on us. Get us out of here. Let us, let's keep us away from the wrath of the lamb. Do you know the lamb has wrath? It's in Revelation. Keep us away from the wrath of the lamb. But he says, if you abide in him, when he appears, he says that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. He says, that's when you're going to need confidence. That's when you're going to need to know that we have abided in him. You can chase after a new thing here if you want to. You can live for this world if you want to. You can chase after a new thing that says, boy, this thing right here is finally going to make you happy. This thing right here is finally going to give you peace. It's finally going to give you rest. It's finally going to settle all that stuff that you've been chasing after and you won't have to worry about it no more. You can do that if you want to, but that is not going to matter when you lay in the hospital bed and they're saying, well, that's it. It's not going to matter how happy you were in your life. It's not going to matter how great a life that you had, whether you were able to go to Italy and Europe and all that. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter if you spent your life working at a job that you hate or working at a job that you love. It's not going to matter. The only thing that will matter on that day is if my life is found in Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to matter. That's the only thing that's going to be on your mind. I've been around a lot of people that have died right there at the moment of death, right there. And they, I ever heard anybody say, well, at least I won the sports championship. At least my kid won the trophy. At least, you know, at least I got to go to whatever country. And I ain't never heard nobody say that. The only thing that's going to matter when you stare in the face is if I have confidence that when I stand before him, all my sins paid for, all my debts paid for. And that is where rest in this life is found. It's the only place 
You can chase after it. All kind, there's all kind of trinkets, all kind of shiny objects that are going to be dangled in front of you and you can run after. But the only place true happiness and peace is found in, is in the gospel because that's the only place where absolute rest, eternal rest is found. And knowing today, even though today, as far as I know, I'm not facing, you know, I'm not facing anything like disease or whatever. You know, it's no telling. I could go out and get on the highway and I could be gone before the day's over. Uh, I could be gone before the service is over. But the... There's no difference in the rest that a believer has today, not knowing what's coming next tomorrow, than the believer who's on that last day about to see Christ. It's the same rest, it's the same peace, same joy, same happiness. So understand, he's saying, this is what you have to do. I'm not teaching you something new, John said. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth. I'm writing to you because you know it. He's saying, this is what you have to do. You have to abide in what you heard from the beginning. Don't get past it. Don't grow out of it. We have a tendency, like I said at the beginning, we have a tendency to take for granted the things that are most common to us. We have a tendency to get bored with things. Don't go past it. Don't grow out of it. Don't get beyond it. You let what you heard from the beginning abide in you and you abide in Christ. You abide in him. You don't chase after what the peddlers are selling. You abide in him. And when you finally stand, when he appears and you stand before him, he said, that's the only place that you're going to have confidence. That's the only place that you're going to be able to stand where you will not be ashamed is in Christ. So you fight, fight to remain in him. When I say that, I don't mean, I'm not talking about losing your salvation or anything like that. I'm talking about your mind. I'm talking about your heart. You fight to keep it focused on him, on the gospel, on Jesus Christ and him crucified. You fight to keep it there. You fight to find your peace and your joy right there. Because if you can't find it there, you're never going to have it. You understand that? That's where it's found. That's the only place that it's found. You abide. Let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. And you abide in Christ. So the question he's asking as we finish, this is the end of chapter two. He says, are you abiding? Are you abiding? Are you resting in the gospel? Are you resting in the gospel? Look at that very last verse in chapter two. And that's going to push us into chapter three, which is what chapter three is about. But that very last verse says this, says, if you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone that doeth right, that practices a lifestyle of righteousness, that keeps his commands is what we've been talking about in chapter two. You know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him, has been born of him. The text could not be more plain. It's going to spell it out so clearly in chapter three. The evidence that you have been born of him is that you live a life that keeps his commands, that you live a life that desires to serve him, desires to please him, desires to follow him. Take a little time this week and read through chapter three. It's very uh, in your face. It's very uh, factual and it's very straightforward. It says you cannot say that you have assurance that you have been born of him if your lifestyle does not reveal a pattern of living for him. It's as simple as that. So today the question is simple. Do you 
have evidence in your life that God is working in you? Do you have evidence in your life that you have a desire to follow him, a desire to seek after him, a desire to keep his commands, a desire to please him, just a desire to have a relationship with him? Is there evidence that you could point to and say, look, I know, I know that my heart has been changed because I can see it here and here and here. It's not because I'm doing so good because I promise you I ain't. It's not because you're doing so good.